Well, I just want uh, to say that we're excited for this opportunity for the congregation to get to know um, Patterson and Sherry Ann a little bit better. Um, we, again, had hoped to do this in a live setting, but the circumstances with COVID uh, are not conducive for that. Plus, with so many people who um, are not able to come because of COVID, COVID or not feeling safe, uh, this gives us an opportunity to really re-engage with you and, and we're mindful of that regularly and are prayerful for, for you guys and we look forward to the day that we can all be back together again. But uh, we just want to take a few minutes on this Sunday, Patterson and Sherry Ann, for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and so why don't you start with your faith stories. Both of you can chime in, your personal faith stories. How? you know, your personal history, anything that you want to share, but how did you come to Jesus and what's your faith walk been like? You want to go first? <laughs> how do you want me to go first? I'll go first. <laughs> um, I lived a few miles away from the church building and I never knew the church was there. I saw the people going. I even played in the, in the yard. I knew the preacher and his wife and their kids. This is in Trinidad, right? On my island of Dominica. Oh, okay. Um, and I just, for some reason, I wasn't invited or I didn't go in. I, it never drew me, you know. Um, and I think that's because, you know, in my family, um, church was always a, a big thing, but for my mom, she, was, she wasn't a believer, so she never really encouraged me along the line of going to service. And it wasn't until I started high school that um, I came in contact with some brethren from the church, and that's where it all began. And, you know, it always amazed me that I never, I was so close, but so far. Um, and I think. Knowing that, it it made me realize that sometimes the timing, it, it wasn't right. Probably if I had gone in then, I may have started out in the church and then fallen away. And, you know, so I think God was probably waiting for that time when, you know, I would have been ready to accept, you know, his word. And from there, from high school, I made the decision um, instead of going off to college to go to the preaching school so I could get to know a little more because I was always feeling like there's more to this, you know. The stories are nice, you know, you know, the parables, okay, but I want to know what those words mean, you know, and okay, they used to speak Hebrew and Greek and all these things and what does it mean? You know, what was their culture like? Who were these people? You know, I wanted more and I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to the preaching school. They said, well, if you go to the preaching school, you know, it's not to preach you. I said, I just want to learn. I just want to know more. And they said, okay, I'm straight up from high school. I graduated in June and I was in Trinidad in August. I met him the first night I landed. He was one of the students who came to pick up the other students from the airport and take them to the dorm and welcome them, you know, and all of that. So I met him the first night and, well, here we are. So he, <laughs> so he was your driver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, mine is a, is a bit 
similar but but different at the same time. Uh, I grew up in a in a household with my grandparents, uh, specifically on my father's side, uh, and so I'm a I'm a grandma's boy. We would say back home. Um, she she was a Christian for a number of years prior to me being born, uh, and the only one in my family at the time that was a member of the church. Uh, you know, somewhere in the process of that, one of my, my aunts, one of my father's siblings, she got baptized, and, and the, the both of them, the church building was like five, five buildings away from where we lived. So I not only grew up uh, in what I would call a Christian environment, but the actual Sunday school wasn't held at the building, it was held underneath our, our house. So, you know, I started going to Sunday school at a pretty young age. I enjoyed Sunday school. Uh, I, I couldn't, at the time, stomach um, the adult worship service. And so my grandma made me a deal. She was like, if you get dressed and you go to Sunday school uh, diligently, then you don't have to be up there for the, the main service. Uh, you could go and watch your cartoon. So I took that contract, I signed it, and I, I ran with it. So I was diligent, you know, going Sunday school until I got to about age 12. And then I just felt something started to click, going from me just wanting to be in Sunday school and then wanting to go and watch TV cartoons to me wanting to know more about this God I've been, I've been hearing about. And so around age 12, um, that's when I think I started to become more, more serious about my own faith, faith journey. I started to uh, become more involved in, in youth group. Uh, I started to be more involved in, in evangelistic efforts that the congregation would hold. And we held at the time um, a lot of evangelistic efforts. Um, you know, started to take part in, in various services um, and, and midweek meetings, song leading particularly. Uh, I grew up loving to sing, so that was my thing. Never in a million years did I think at the time that I would gravitate towards preaching. Uh, I knew, even before I became a Christian, I knew I wanted to become an elder one day. So that kind of spurred on my desire to, to grow. And so when I became a Christian um, in 1998, I made a decision that uh, I definitely wanted to go preach in school, Trinidad School of Preaching and Teaching in Trinidad at some point. So no sooner did I graduate from secondary school, the equivalent of high school here, did I decide, all right, it was either I go and try and play soccer and get a scholarship or I decided to go to the preaching school. Uh, uh, so given the opportunity, I, I took preaching school, which baffled, honestly, my mother for <laughs> quite some time, you know. Um, but, you know, while in preaching school, I soon, soon, soon realized uh, a passion for preaching and teaching. Um, and, and so, you know, like I said, the, the rest is history. Uh, in 2007, when Sherry Ann came, to Trinidad. She thought I came to be a driver for everybody there, but <laughs> I know different now looking back in hindsight. I, I think I was only supposed to be there to meet her. Uh, and ultimately, um, I wasn't even supposed to be in Trinidad at the time. I was in Grenada just a few weeks before, and I was supposed to stay in Grenada for at least three more weeks. And I determined, you know, I was going to come back home and do 
in Trinidad preaching school what is called a third and a fourth year program. And so I wasn't even supposed to be in Trinidad you know, at that time. And so I've long since concluded that I, I, I was there that night so that we could meet and ultimately get married. And so, uh, you know, ministry for me just kind of took off from that point, particularly after we got married. And so uh, that's kind of what, what led up to me getting into ministry when I did at, at the time. May I just mm. ask a question? Sure. Um, when the, whenever the elders asked me uh, months ago what I was looking for just as kind of the preacher, but also just as, a, as somebody in the pew, um, I explained I only had three criteria. And I shared those with yeah. you. And the first was calling, passion. And the second was substance. I want, when I sit there and hear somebody, uh, I want to be fed. And then the third was delivery, and you excel in all three. So it's wonderful to have heard you twice now. I am curious uh, about your calling or passion. Uh, you, you ask about the testimony of your faith. You know, when did you come to Christ and your upbringing? And you've answered that a little bit as to, but you said when you were in Sunday school, about age 12, interesting age, you know, that's when the Jewish boys would be more uh, yeah. bar mitzvahed. And at age 12 is when I really felt a calling from the Lord that one day, one day I would preach. I'd kind of put it aside because I was petrified in front of people and I never saw the two blending, yeah. but God in his grace and mercy allowed those two to blend. And then one grows from that. But so whenever you said age 12, and then you said when you went to the school of preaching, that it was there that you began, I forgot the word you used, but you began to, you moved toward uh, preaching and teaching or, or did you go to the school of preaching knowing that number one, you would not play soccer. Number two, you would not, you know, do anything else other than preach. Ministry is broad, yeah. and God calls us with different gifts. Uh, like I have never felt called, for example, to be a youth director. I, I, I applaud those who are, but I've never felt the Lord leading me to work with youth. Uh, young professionals in the military, that's different, but as far as the teenagers. But others do feel called, mm -hmm. thank, thank God. Mm -hmm. So yeah. when did you feel um, called mm -hmm. to not just ministry, it's broad, but to be in the pulpit? Yeah, um, that, that's easy, that's an easy, easy response. Um, when I decided, when I got to the point uh, of deciding whether to possibly go and further my, my schooling secularly, um, the path I had in mind, because I played soccer at, le at a pretty decent level for somebody back home, the path I had in mind was to pursue a, a soccer scholarship. And in so doing, you know, pursue my degree. I, I had a couple. Um, degrees in mind, one of which was engineering, another was law, um, you know, so there was that. So when I got to the point of deciding to actually take the scholarship, I had two scholarship opportunities. One, one fell through because the I-20 form didn't come in time, um, and it was way too late in the semester, and the other one, uh, uh, everything worked out to where it was just a matter of me, you know, going ahead with it. 
And so I, I had the opportunity, you know, having those two options at the time, I decided I was going to go preaching school. Now, it's, it's a unique thing. When I say preaching school, many people may not get or understand why making the decision to go preaching school ultimately was me making a decision to get into ministry and more so um, evangelistic, pulpit-type ministry, right? Uh, it's generally understood in the Caribbean if you as a man desire to go preach in school, it's not just, you know, to, to necessarily just gain more knowledge as an individual. That's, that's there. But generally, the people who are, males particularly, who are attending the preaching school back home, it's really to gain uh, uh, training and knowledge to get into the pulpit and become full-time ministers and preachers and, and stuff of that nature. Uh, back home, the title of evangelist still pretty much kind of is, is the main deal. Uh, here it's more either pulpit minister or senior minister, stuff of that nature. So, you know, I, I pretty much knew when I made the decision to go to preaching school that I was going to focus more in line of evangelist, uh, pulpit, preaching, teaching type, type deal. Uh, but I will say, um, I struggled with this for years. Um, I don't know if this feeds into the, to the answer, but within about a year of being at preaching school and becoming more and more active in the pulpit, whether it was preaching to youth, um, preaching to men's groups, even preaching to ladies' groups, which is something we try to develop as well, uh, and ultimately congregations and reaching out to communities. Um, you know, I saw in me what people saw before but doubted. Um, up until that point, people will come to me and say, you know, I, I think you have potential to preach or, you know, stuff of that nature because I did sermon, you know, sermonettes and exhortations and, and stuff before. But, you know, believe it or not, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. <laughs> um, you know, I, I did those before, and by the grace of God, you know, whether it was people who got baptized or, you know, people rededicated their lives or people would come young, old, it didn't matter, and they would come and they would, you know, say just how much, you know, those talks blessed them and stuff like that, and they, they were appreciative. Um, so it's not like I didn't do it before, but, you know, people will come and they will tell you, I see something in you. But there was always this, this type of self-doubt. Do I really have that gift? You know, but uh, about a year in, um, a full year into preaching school, uh, I think I, I was like, yeah, I, I definitely see uh, at least an extent what they saw. And it wasn't until recently, uh, I think I had mentioned this in, in a couple conversations I had with Todd, it wasn't until uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, um, that whatever doubt I felt, even being at Harding, even though I was preaching for like 14 years prior to coming, coming at Harding, um, it wasn't until about a year and a half, two years ago that I, that I feel whatever sense of doubt in that gift or that ability just dissipate. Um, and I think it's, it was because I was going through a period at Harding where I had the opportunity to be away from quote-unquote full-time ministry, be out of um, you know, that position of evangelist. I was preaching for a small congregation, Shirley Church of Christ, since 2018 of January. Um, so I've been in the pulpit every Sunday since 2018, the very first Sunday in January. But like I said, it, it, I just felt whatever fear and doubt that I had in 
what I perceived and others perceived to be a calling, I just felt all that fear just, you know, just, just fade, just disappear. And I, I think that was when, in my mind, I believe I submitted to the fact that this is the calling. So stop doubting, you know, stop worrying about your words or your inability and you just do what, what God has called you to and it's do. It's not just about, I mean, what, what, what you're doubting is not that one day you'll have all this skill, is when you finally let go yeah. and say, Lord, if, you're, if you've called me to the pulpit, then I only seek your applause. I only yeah. seek your, yeah. your pleasure, yeah. regardless of whether I think I'm good enough or not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because it's not about us. I mean, God really only calls those who, uh, I think may be very limited. Uh, I mean, I'm speaking of myself. Yeah. And, and once called, uh, and then I'll get off the calling oh, thing. But but once once called, I felt like um, there is nothing else I can do. Yeah. I mean, whether you know, it's not about IQ, and it's not about it, it's there's even if I wanted to be an engineer or a lawyer, mm -hmm. I have no doubt that I would be unhappy doing anything other than yeah. what God has said, this is what I want you to do. Yeah. So that's what I mean by, by calling and passion. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's thrilling to have you here and to hear that story. So, okay, Brother I'm what, What's interesting about your um, body language and uh, actually when I heard you go, hmm, was when he kind of said that part about submitting to God's yeah, calling. That's right. And that's when you perked up and it was really nice to hear that uh, between the two of you um, that's because we you know it's hard for us in our Christian walks to realize the power of submitting and so I appreciated you saying that and, and your immediate response to that so um, you have described in conversations with me and even with staff I think uh, was the first time I heard you actually use this um, that Sherry Ann is your rock and you um, there were a number of times where we were working through things with you and asking you to even come the first time or come back for something else. And you would, you would say, yeah, I think so, but um, I need to talk to Sherry Ann. And uh, I think I know what she's going to say. But I, so there's this huge amount of respect that is portrayed between the two of you. We've had people mention some things that you've said about him and his ministry. So how does Sherry Ann support your ministry? And Sherry Ann, you can answer this as well. And uh, what does that mean to you? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me start by saying this. I, I would not be, I believe this 100%, by the way. I, will not, I would have not been where I am um, in terms of location, time, place, and understanding. I would have not been where I am today if I wasn't married to this young lady right here. Uh, and that, that's me saying this. I've, I've been through, we've been through, she, you'll see her shaking her head when I say this. We've been through so much in terms of the muck and the mill and the mire when it comes to ministry. We've, we've, we've had to endure so much from a financial standpoint. Just, I mean, it, it, it would amaze people to understand our journey and the time we've been married, but with that, in what ministry looked like and, and how we survived while trying to perform full-time ministry mm -hmm. at, at, at that given point in time. 
and without question, without feel, I'm not saying there are other women who wouldn't have done it. I, I, I know I'm not foolish enough to say that, but I believe if I had gotten married to anybody else, we may have been together, the person and I, but I may not have been in ministry still at that point. When things had gotten so rough, and I eventually had to go out and work while still trying to perform ministry, she was the one that was whispering, well, we, we still have to pay the bills, that's true, but you still need to prepare those classes. I, I don't want, this was her words, I don't want watered down messages simply because you have to go <laughs> and work, right? So, you know, it, it was that drive, it was that push. And then honestly, uh, I'll say this and I'll, I'll shut up. Honestly, and she could attest, I've, I've told her before, I think she's one of the strongest people that I know. Seeing her faith journey, seeing how God has, has worked through her from the time I knew her at the age of 18. <laughs> from the time we first met, understanding some of the struggles she had, um, understanding where she came from, and just seeing just how much she blossomed in a year, year and a half, two years, three years. We went for seven years without even having a child, not for lack of trying. You know, and, and to see her go through just all of that and still stand firm, that gave me fuel to continue pushing on. Um, when I was high and she would have been low, you know, she was able to get encouragement. And when I was low, she was high and I was always able to get an encouragement as well. Uh, you know, so I, I believe 100% without question. I, I'll look at the camera and say this. Uh, you know, 100%, I would not be here. I would not be at Harding. I would not be in ministry. I, I would not be here sitting right now if I were not married uh, to Sherry Ann. And so uh, I, I attribute, I understand when people talk about behind every good man, whatever a good man is, right? But I understand what people say when they say behind every good man is, is a great woman. I, I understand that. So. Uh, you know, that's, that's what she's done to me and for me, and, and that's how God is able to work, you know, through her to minister to me. Um, you guys could attest to this. You could attest to this. Um, you're ministering to hundreds of people, week on, week on ends. Who ministers to you? Who ministers to you when, 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 when you're broken? Who ministers to you when you're tired? Who ministers to you when you're weary? That's your wife. You know, so, so she, when I say she's my rock, that's not just flattery. You know me long enough now to know I don't, I don't deal with flattery. You know what I'm saying? It does nothing. It does nothing for me. It does nothing for you. Um, but when I say she's my rock, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to deify her or anything like that, but she, she definitely is one of the main reasons why I'm here. So that's what I mean. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sharon, do you have... Um, Anything that you want to say, uh, not just in response to that, but how you support each other and how you support his his ministry. I mean, he elaborated pretty well, uh, but but if there's anything you want to add, we'd love to hear it. Um, I mean, when I first met him, you know, even before you know, I knew that he was going to ask me. You know, we got engaged in less than three months. You know, 
and we were just talking. Don't and try this at home, kids. <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking, and he he said he wanted to be an elder. It, at you know some point, and there were certain things that he had to do in order to be able to qualify to be an elder. You know, husband of one wife and up to teach and all of these things. And I saw him making decisions, you know, that would lead him towards that. Um, and just watching his drive and his passion and, you know, me being a person who's always made decisions that would put God first in my life and watching him do the same, you know, it was easy to, you know, connect, I guess, on that, on that level. <laughs> um, yeah, his, his drive, I guess, in a sense, matched my drive. My drive isn't, you know, to be on the pulpit or anything. It's just wanting to know more and drawing closer. And he's helped me draw closer. So. You complete each other. This morning, when, before you spoke, and before I read scripture, I talked a little bit about um, some of the events leading up to our first conversation. Um, I mentioned Todd Gentry. I don't remember if I said how well he has connected to Antioch because he has visited here before. He performed my daughter's wedding ceremony um, because his son is married to my daughter. Um, but, um, you know, I mentioned when when he told me where you were from that I had some hesitation and I had some, uh, I just wondered how that first phone call was going to go, you know. Um, so um, you also mentioned a while ago the timing. You had, both of you were talking about different opportunities and people kept asking him and he kept saying, no, it's not the right time, it's not the right time, and then right before the call. So I, I don't even want, I want you to tell that story a little bit. Um, but in that story about the timing of the call, I also want you, one of the things that you said in that call that raised my attention pretty quickly was as I was talk, trying to tell you about Antioch, you were like, you already knew. And I was like, I think I mentioned Andrew and you might have said his last name. Or I mentioned um, that we have a Hispanic minister. He said, yes, I've seen him lead singing. Or, you know, I know he leads singing. And I'm like, well, I just kind of stopped and said, how do you know? And you, it had literally been less than a day, less than 24 hours since Todd talked to you. And you and I talked. And you told me then, he said, brother, I've been all over your website. I have already watched 10 of your services. At least at that point, yeah. And then he decided, bless their hearts, they need a preacher. <laughs> Not, that's not, that was not what he said. But he did say, I need you to know that I'm not looking for a job. I'm looking for a place where I can use the gifts that God gave me. So a fit, so to speak. So what was it that you, you know, talk a little bit about the, your end of what was leading up to that, including turning down other, not even considering other possibilities, and then your guys' prayer that you had and the timing of that call and what, drew, what you saw in, about Antioch that made you take that call? Honestly, up until um, August of this year, uh, when, when, when we left Trinidad in, in 2017, um, the, the, the intent was just to come and you know, get the degree, uh, really spend time not having to worry about what's gonna come after or 
uh, all that kind of stuff, but really just spend time using that three and a half years, uh, you know, to grow. Uh, the reason why I left, I'll, I'll just put a scene before going on. The reason why I, 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 I felt compelled to come to Harding, or at least to further my, 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 my learning at the time, was I felt like I had plateaued in, in, in my ability. I had plateaued in, in my knowledge base. And so I didn't feel like I was equipped, even with the congregation that I, I was with at the time. And, and that happened on two occasions where I didn't feel like I was equipped to help the congregation go, go past the level that it was at, whether it was in understanding, whether it was um, having to counsel particular situations, circumstances, events, people, that type of stuff. I just didn't feel like I was equipped to do it. And if I wasn't equipped to do it, then I, I knew that I was going to be more hindrance than a help um, to the congregation and to the work. So several things surrounded really. I must admit me deciding to step away from ministry when I did. But in that present moment, God just created a way again for me to come to Harding. And when I say he created a way, I don't have time to, to, to really describe that path. Just needless to say, God created a way where there was seeming to be no way. I mean, that's another story for another time. You know, so, so when we started this process, it was with the, my passion, our passion was to come to grow, 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 grow. You know, get as much as we could to grow because we wanted to be of greater ministry when we eventually got back into ministry. And so within a year, um, within a year of being at Harding and, you know, just making different connections and stuff, uh, whether it was faculty, preachers, um, students that were graduating and developing, going to develop uh, missionary teams and stuff, we started getting offers, you know, to, to preach, to do this and do that, um, you know, but Again, we came, we came to study. Uh, and so, you know, it didn't matter what the offer was, it didn't matter what the suggestion was, it was always met with, I'm here to study. Uh, and so I, 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 I can't consider that right now. Um, and then in August, just before, I, I kid you not, this was two weeks prior to school opening, um, I just started to think about life after June. 2021. Uh, in my mind, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm graduating in June. So if I'm graduating in June, okay, God, now is a good time for me start to start to think about life beyond this degree. You know, where, where are you going to lead us? Where are we, are we, you know, is your intention for us to go back home? Is, is your intention for us to go, you know, to one of the islands? Is your intention for us to go overseas, Europe? You know, What's your intention for us? You know, we're, we're an open book. Lead us wherever you want to lead. And honestly, it, it, it's no joke. About about a week after beginning beginning those prayers, I receive a text while I'm driving. Hey, would you mind if I share your contact with a, a congregation that's looking for a preacher? And I didn't even think about it. I said, sure. It was gentry. Right? I, I said, sure, no problem. Um, I wouldn't have done that prior. And so with, without, even, without even thinking, and I equate, I equate me doing that uh, to how I felt even that day when I met Sherian or was about to meet Sherian for the first time. There was something that just felt, 
okay, you're here, there's something about to take place, but you don't know what it is. Uh, I was the first person to, to gain contact with her when her plane was was delayed and we were in the airport for like two and a half hours not knowing what was happening. I had to call her uncle, I had to call back, you know what I mean? So it was like the same feeling. So when I got the text, I was like, just in an instant, in a moment, I was like, all right, God, no problem. And, and that led, you know, essentially to us having, having our, our conversations. Um, no sooner did Gentry send me that text, Antioch Church of Christ, I immediately went to YouTube. Started, started watching, watching, watching the services. Uh, went all the way back, I think it was to March at the time, and just worked my way down. And I was like, why is this, why is this congregation looking for a preacher? <laughs> the, the, the preacher is doing a, 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 a good job. I, I listened to, to your, your, like the first three, four sermons in the month of March, and I was, I was in the car, I didn't leave the car yet. Right? I was in the car and I was amen and I listened to those three, four services in the car. Didn't step out of the car. I was amen. I was like, well, why, why is this? You know, so I started to wonder, is something wrong? Is something up? Like, like what's going on? Why is this congregation looking for a preacher? So, you know, I was like, all right. But then I started to look at how you guys perform different aspects of the worship. What caught my eye apart from your preaching and teaching, what caught my eye was honestly what I saw was transpiring with the worship leaders and Jose. I was like, what's going on here? This is, <laughs> this is not something that outside of a group I used to deal with, um, the same brother who is now the minister for Camp Creek Church of Christ, Alexander Jameson, um, he used to facilitate uh, 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 a devotional midweek for, it was focused around the, the African-American students, but you know, it, it soon broadened to the Hispanics and everybody on campus, as many that has wanted to come really. And one of the things he attempted to do before he left was to, to get a more bilingual type arrangement. So we sang a few songs at times that was in Spanish. First time it ever took place on campus. First time it ever took place as far as I knew. And so when I saw that, I was like, what is, what? what, what what's that? They, people don't do that on Sunday mornings because you know it's a distraction, it's a this, it's a that. But I saw it done almost seamlessly. I, I think I, I shared with you, you know, there's definitely room to improve, but the fact that it was being done just kind of blew me, just kind of blew me away. And the service didn't feel it didn't feel like cut and dry. It, it, it felt so personable. It felt like it was thought through. It wasn't rushed. It, you know, it, so, so those things kind of captivated me early. And the reason why I mentioned being a good fit was because, you know, every congregation says that they have a vision for the church. That's all well and good. But when you're in the pulpit, you know, when you're in the pulpit on a, on a week-to-week basis, you're, you're preaching, you're teaching, you're, you're helping to, to guide the congregation along in terms of a spiritual mentality and mindset. And sometimes what the preacher is preaching and the direction that the preacher might be going is not necessarily, you know that, it's not necessarily the direction that the, the eldership um, might want to go, nor is it sometimes necessarily the, the, the direction that the congregation um, sees itself going, right? And so when I say good fit, I wasn't necessarily trying to say, well, 
talk about style or anything like that. It's like, I'm concerned about building relationships. I'm concerned about trying to get people to become more free in their, in their relationship, in their expression, in their, ex uh, you know, I'm concerned about reaching out to the community. I'm concerned about trying to, you know, win as many souls as we possible, possibly can inside and outside. And, you know, what that, what that looks like if we do it just right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, when I said fit, I was like, is this congregation really ready? If, if I'm hearing correctly, is this congregation really ready to get the, the change or the results based on the vision that they claim to have? It's one thing to say you want to reach out to the community. But it's the next thing to see that come to fruition and everybody partner be on board with that. Uh, Antioch is a well-diverse community. Everybody knows that. Antioch Church of Christ is still predominantly Caucasian. But if we do the work and get into the community, you could see Antioch Church of Christ go from becoming predominantly Caucasian to now one-third Hispanic or two-thirds Hispanic or, you know, one-third African-American, you could see and you will see, hopefully, that that diversity happen and those dynamics change. And so if the congregation isn't prepared for that, you know, then that could create a lot of problems um, along the way. Uh, and I've seen it happen with a few people, so I, I, I didn't want that to happen to me. So uh, when I saw that that was the, the, the direction that the congregation wanted to go. I just felt that, you know, I was more than willing, if God decided to allow it to happen, I was more than willing to come and, 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 and aid where I could to, to help bring that fruition, that vision rather to light. So uh, that's what I meant when I said sure. good, good fit. When I heard you say what, what I phrased a while ago, that you weren't just looking for a job, because being on the other side of that, we interview people who are well-equipped to preach in the pulpit, but not necessarily willing to invest in mm -hmm. to find out about a congregation. And so when you had already invested some time into it, that spoke volumes to me, but I was still um, wondering about your experiences and whether or not that fit was actually there. So the questions that I followed up and I mentioned this morning and some of the things that you just described were some of the things that the staff had shared. We want someone that is going to be engaged in the work with Jose, that's going to be engaged in small groups possibly with Andrew or just a number of things. So I started probing you on questions around those and I was still wondering how that, if that fit was going to be there quite honestly and it, with each question you you kind of said exactly what I felt like I could hear the staff saying that's what we wanted to hear, so to speak. And at one point, I think I laughed. I think I, you, I think you answered a question, so like if I would have written the answer, that would have been it. I don't even remember what it was, but I just remember laughing out loud and having to apologize to you because of, the, <laughs> because of doing that. And it was merely the fact that you had kind of hit hit the ball right where, where it needed to be hit on that particular question. But I was still going through the list thinking, well, this will be the one that doesn't align, or this will be the one that doesn't align. <laughs> At one point, you laughed. I don't know if you remember doing that or not, um, because I yeah. think I asked a question that hit your sweet spot, yeah. too. Uh, yeah. So do you remember what question that was? We, we were talking about, uh, the question was with surrounding worship. Mm -hmm. We were talking about, like, so when you come from the Caribbean, like, uh, 
and coming to the U.S., uh, what are some of the, the challenges and stuff that you face? And I said, well, to be honest, you know, food didn't bother us too much. When we first came here, it was the way in which the, the worship atmosphere kind of like was. And, you know, going from, from being uh, pretty vocal and, and, and stuff uh, at home to come in here and at times maybe even saying like an amen to a preacher that's up there and then people <laughs> people turn around to what you like, you know, did you just say amen? Could you just say that a little softer or something like that? And so it was along the lines of, you know, having an atmosphere, not being afraid to have an atmosphere that you invite the spirit while at the same time allowing members to be free in the expression of praise. Of course, we talked about not overdoing it and stuff, but it was we were talking about, about worship and, and, and what that could potentially look like. Um, as we allow ourselves more and more to be, to be led by the Spirit. Uh, yeah, I remember you laughed out. You, you laughed out for that. Yeah. So um, you mentioned a while ago um, that you know, God allowed you to just kind of submit to His calling. Your experience in Trinidad, I think, was primarily smaller congregations, um, but you have spoken to large congregations. I've seen that in some of the recordings, but you're also your experience in the last few years, you've preached at smaller churches of Christ that are, if not predominantly, exclusively white outside yeah. of your family. Yeah. Um, so what, but yet every person that we talked to, um, every reference you gave and some that you didn't, um, that we talked to, um, mentioned your, both of y'all, your ability to connect with people and your desire to connect with people. So what, what have you done and what can you do here to maintain that same type of success in connecting with people and uh, grow. And they, they went on to say, one person said, he will connect with your people and grow your church. So what is it that, um, that you see yourself doing to help connect with people here and help us grow? Well, well, well honestly, um, you know, growing, growing up and, 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 and seeing people perform ministry at different places and in different ways, you get a sense for what works and what doesn't. Um, I, I grew up in a place where we had a number of preachers. Um, we had one elder guy. I called him Uncle Edwin. He wasn't. We weren't related really, but that's just like how the culture and custom is back home. Um, he was my neighbor, but he was also my preacher. Uh, he wasn't the most educated, uh, and I'm saying that uh, he wasn't really educated at all, but he learned along the way. But what he did have was a big heart. Um, he was a very hard worker. He, he worked in agriculture, gardening, and so uh, he would go and he would, you know, get produce and he would come and whether he would sell it or not, you know, at the end of the day, he would just find families that would be in need and he would give it. You know, he will never pass a person, young or old, and not say good morning or good afternoon. You know, just, just, just a really awesome guy he wasn't the best preacher in the world by any, any stretch of the imagination, but he performed ministry in a way that I've never seen before. And that was because he was personable, not, not simply from a shallow standpoint of, you know, I, I need to be nice to you, but he, he, it became his character. Now, if you talk to his wife, um, when he was a teenager, he was pretty rough, right? He was pretty <laughs> rough around the edges, 
but God worked on him to where his character became one where he loved people and he you know wanted to make people smile and be a comfort to other people and stuff. So so you know I, I I learned pretty early that a huge part to being not just in ministry but being a Christian is is hopefully being personable, you know, loving people and wanting to connect with people. And that, that really is a, a huge part of who I am as a person. Sherian will tell you, like, it doesn't matter where I go. I, I, nobody intimidates me. You know, if, if you are willing to shake my hand, I will stick my hand out, I will smile, I will shake your hand, and I will shake your hand and tell you I love you as if I've known you for 15 plus years. Uh, because that's that's how I feel about individuals, right? Uh, you know, there, there's just that day, and I can't explain it other, other, other than saying that's, that's just who I've become. So, you know, a huge part of, of my ministry is really loving on people. Um, you know, if, if I, could, I could share truth about, about Bible facts and, 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 and book, chapter, and verse, but if I'm not living out that truth, then I don't think I'm performing um, ministry in the way that ministry is supposed to be performed. So, you know, when people talk about, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good with people, it's not that I'm good at handling people. I just love people. I just love being around people, even difficult. I, could <laughs> I pride myself on, on, on saying that I, I think I could deal with anybody if you're willing to just, you know, to just allow me into your space and be in my space. I, I could deal with anybody. So I think a huge part of my success, if I call it anything at all, would be the fact that, uh, you know, I, it's genuine. It's, it's me really trying to get to know you because I think the more I know you, the more I know the congregation, it makes my job as a preacher and a teacher a little bit easier because now I'm able to help tailor my messages and my sermons in a way that impacts you on a personal oh, level. Wow. That you was know. my second question, so you just... <laughs> 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 you you know, and you know, you know, we, you could find a message in anything. Right. You could go into the Old Testament, the New Testament, find a passage and develop a message, a, a lesson or a sermon, but all you might be presenting on any given Sunday is information, but the more you connect with people, the more, the more you know people and people know you, then you take that exact same passage and preach a message, preach a lesson, speak a word that they will listen to you because you know what? This brother knows me. Uh, I know he's not trying to be hurtful right now. He said something really harsh, but I know he's not trying to hurt me. He, I know him too well to know that he loves me enough to say the hard thing, even from the pulpit. I know he's not throwing stones for me, right? But because we have that relationship, because I know you and you know me to an extent, you know, the preaching is a little bit more impactful. And so that's, that's pretty much where, um, like I said, if I have to call it success, that's pretty much where I've been able to connect um, from a ministry standpoint in, in the congregations I've, I've worked with thus far. Black, white, Hispanic, it doesn't matter. Um, I'll do my diligence. I'll love you, I'll love your culture, I'll respect you, I'll respect your culture, and if you reciprocate, I think we'll have a, a great time. If not, I'll still continue to love you, <laughs> you know, but that's, 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 that's my approach. You know, that's, that's, that's essentially it. I, well, I, I look forward to just continuing, as I said this morning, to grow with you guys. Um, 
I think I have one more question, and then Whit may have one. You may have some questions for us. But in your first meeting with the eldership, the large group meeting, face-to-face, uh, -face, that, that particular meeting, we asked you a lot of questions. We asked you a whole lot of questions. <laughs> and we probed and had probed prior in other, other ways, as you know, in small, in, with two or three of us at a time or four or five of us at a time. Um, you only asked one question. We asked you, did you have any questions? You had one question. Um, so what was that question, and why was that important to you? You brought that up, too, at the sports bar mm -hmm. when we had lunch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I've been a Christian longer than I've been in ministry. And I've been in ministry longer than I've been married. But it doesn't matter at any given stage. The one thing that has offered success in my life was the working of the Holy Spirit. Growing up where we grew up, the Holy Spirit is viewed as words on a page, not having the ability to work outside of what you just read. Thank be to God for growth. <laughs> Because I've seen so much in my own life, I've seen so much in my own ministry, and I've seen so much in my own marriage, where the only reason why I progressed, the only reason why we grew, the only reason why we're here is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. When there was fear, he said, push through with faith. When there was doubt, he said, you need to have some belief. When, you know, Things, even from a physical nature, and it's, it scares a lot, of, a lot of people in our fellowship. It scares people in our fellowship to hear certain descriptors and descriptions of the way in which the Holy Spirit works. And so I'm not afraid at this stage in my life to say that while I believe the Holy Spirit works in line with Scripture, I'm not afraid to say that there are ways that I've seen the Holy Spirit work outside in, in everyday life. I've seen the Holy Spirit work in, 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 in people who are considered to be criminals in the prison. I've seen the Holy Spirit work in my enemies, people who consider themselves my enemies. I've seen the Holy Spirit work just, you know, in, in times when people wouldn't believe. I should not be here seated right now. I should be dead. Hmm. When I was about eight or nine, my grandfather got in a, in, a, in a car wreck. He was driving, I was in the passenger seat. And I don't know what happened, we came around a corner, it was a little stretch, he came around a corner, we were going for ice cream, it was, it was my suggestion. Our, our house, the turn off we would have made, would have been the very next left after he made the corner, after he made the bend. The truck was located right after the bend that he should have taken. Before we hit the corner, I said, Grandpa, didn't call him Grandpa, Daddy. I said, Daddy, I wanted ice cream. The ice cream parlor was about a half mile past the truck. The truck didn't have any street light. Dead of night, the truck was black. The lights were tinted out. So even though his lights were on, he didn't see the truck. Came around the corner and he accelerated. And all I remember was rolling around in that car several times and then crying and people dragging me out of the car. He ran 
straight into the back of the truck and only came out with a gash on his eye. I was in the front seat. Front seat, passenger seat. The back of the tray of the truck was here over the passenger seat. The back of the tray of the truck was about this height, right over the driver's seat. He came out with a gash only right over the eye. I didn't have a broken bone. I didn't have a scratch, a scrape. All I remember, I was crying. That was it. I should have died in a car wreck. My appendix, appendix burst. Spent several hours, I didn't know what it was. Should have died then. I almost drowned trying to save a little boy and his father started to panic and pull me down. I should have died of the Holy Spirit, all right? So in, in my estimation, in my belief, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I believe if a couple who is supposed to be believers don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, then when they encounter hardship and difficulty, they won't make it. I believe a person who is claiming to be a Christian, who doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit, when they encounter difficulty, they won't make it. I believe a church who claims to be uh, believers in God, believers in Jesus, believers in the Holy Spirit, if we don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, the eldership will run the church into a wall. The church will find itself into a ditch and eventually, with time, that won't necessarily be a church that we're reading of in the Bible. So the reason why I asked the eldership of their belief in the Holy Spirit was because if I'm up there talking about <laughs> all of this kind of Holy Spirit stuff, and the eldership was like, uh, you know, we need to have a conversation with him, and I need to know from beforehand so I could say, guys, I appreciate the offer, but clearly we have some differences in opinions and views and even theology, right? Uh, theology concerning the Holy Spirit. So that was really, that, I mean, that was really, not just was, it, it's, it's, it's important to me that, uh, you know, the people around me, the eldership, um, the ministry team, the, the members, um, really do have a, a, a faith and a belief in the working of the Holy Spirit because I believe if we have that, then it doesn't matter what we encounter. Mm -hmm. We have the power and the capacity to go through it. We, we have the, capa the capacity to overcome. So it, it, that was the only question I have. It still continues to be the only thing I'm looking at because it's one thing to say you have the belief it's the next thing. When, when the opportunity arises, we will see. And I, I think I've already seen, you know, seen that the elders and, you know, with here, we've had some wonderful conversations um, about this and stuff. So I, I believe, I believe that the elders meant what we they assured. said. Um, oh, yeah, we shared, we shared a story. I think what we answered that question well enough through some stories of our own. I, I, can't, I, yeah, I think yeah. that's how I, I remember a tear yeah. being shed. That was awesome, so, bro. So thank you. Uh, that's all I have. Whit, do you have any follow-ups? No, or? no. Great. Thank you okay. so much. Yeah. Sherry Ann Patterson. It was a great conversation. Mm -hmm. Precisely what we've talked about in other settings. So it's kind of nice to have what was private now public. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you, everyone. We hope you've enjoyed this. And uh, we're going to cut out of here now. So. Amen. <laughs>